A British blockade during the War of 1812 cut off the supply of imported coal in Pennsylvania's coal fields. There was a problem. They weren't able to transport coal from the mines to the coastal market. So, how did we solve this problem? The Wurtz brothers came up with an idea of creating a canal that would transport coal from their fields near Honesdale, Pennsylvania to the Hudson River. And then the barges would carry the coal on the Hudson River to New York City and north to Albany and the Erie Canal. After they built this canal, that then allowed them to come up with a new innovation, which was called the D&H Gravity Railroad. It was designed by John Jervis to transport coal over a mountainous region from the mines to the canal. And the D.H. Railroad Company is credited with being one of the oldest railroads in the United States. As the railroads grew, people traveled throughout the country. But then came the automobile and the airplane. And passenger trains began to decline in popularity. So then in 1970, Congress passed the Rail Passenger Service Act of 1970, and this legislation established the National Railroad Passenger Corporation to take over passenger rail service that had been operated by private railroads. And this was called Amtrak, and Amtrak still runs today. Started in May 1971, it served 43 states and 21 routes. So, also known as the Manual of Uniform Traffic Control Devices, which is M-U-T-C-D. And they describe a stop sign. Their definition of a stop sign is a regulatory sign that is used when traffic is required to stop. It is a red octagon that has a white border on a large white letters that read stop. A multi-way stop sign intersections a small plate is placed below the stop sign to inform the driver of how many approaches are required to stop. Stop signs are used to assign right-of-way at an intersection. Since a stop sign causes inconvenience to motorists, it should only be used when warranted. Stop signs are put up at rail crossings to protect the public from trying to outrun the train. So there's a purpose to a stop sign, not to cause you inconvenience, but to get you to stop and to think and ultimately protect you. Stop. Welcome to the Stephen Thompson Experience. I'm Stephen Thompson. I'm a storyteller, a historian, a husband, a father, and a compassionate conservative, no, not cons conservative, a compassionate servant leader, got that right, who is curious. Today I want to have a conversation with you about the best that is in you, but also recognizing the best in others as well. Love your neighbor as yourself. We can do both. And when we do, we'll see the best that's in all of us.
Stop in the name of love. That's what we're working on this week, looking at the Supremes. We're looking at the Supremes during this iteration, iteration of the Stephen Thompson experience. And Stop in the Name of Love is a 1965 song written by the Supremes for the Motown label. And it again was written by the, their main production team, which was Holland, Dozy, and Holland. And Stop in the Name of Love was number one on the Billboard Pop Single Charts in the U.S. from March 27th. 1965 all the way through April 3rd in 1965 as well and what I want to look at are these lyrics stop in the name of love before you break my heart stop in the name of love before you break my heart think it over think it over here's our essential questions for today why do we need to stop what does stopping in the name of love look like to you and what are the consequences to not stopping and what are the benefits to thinking things over thinking things over when people think things over they usually make a good decision or sometimes thinking things over results in a bad decision and and I don't really know sometimes if people consider the consequences of their decisions, if they were going to be bad, or if the consequences of their decision were going to be good, but you can always count on people who will take a stand when the consequences of a decision are not in the best interest of our entire society. The Tashinese people are noted for their spirit of travel and adventure. They're located in China, and the people of this city and its nearby twin city of Kaiping immigrated to the United States at the turn of the century. And many of these immigrants came in and built the great American railroads. And then many also went to Europe and they put together local communities that became famous with the name Chinatown and they're known throughout the globes, the globe. Now, in America, despite the fact that the contributions of these Chinese immigrants led to the creation and really we were able to build a system of railroads throughout the country, there was a problem. And on May 6, 1882, Chester Arthur was president of the United States, and he signed a bill called the Chinese Exclusion Act. And the Chinese Exclusion Act prohibited all immigration of Chinese laborers. And then that act followed the Angel Treaty of 1880, a set of revisions to it. Then it'll, that allowed it to suspend Chinese immigration. It was intended to act, last for only 10 years, but it was extended in 1892 with the Gary Act and made permanent in 1902. This act, the Chinese Exclusion Act, was the first law implemented to prevent a specific ethnic group from immigrating to the United States. And it was repealed by the Magnuson Act, December 17th, 1943. Individual named Ning, Pu, Ning Pun Chu. He was born at a village in China, the village that I spoke about earlier. And when he was 13 years old, he and his uncle came to California. His uncle came home from California. The uncle had been away for eight years. 
he had $800 that he earned in California and he had a lot of stories to tell. And those stories that his uncle told him made Chu want to go to California. So Chu arrived in California. In San Francisco in 1881, he was 15 years old. 15 years old. And when the 15-year-old Chu got to America, he worked as a servant and he studied English at night. Later, he went to school and became a Christian minister. And his goal was to help other Chinese immigrants. Let's take a look at what he did. He arrived in the country at 15. He worked as a servant, starting off at the bottom. And then he studied English at night. So he worked during the day, studied English at night. Then he went back to school and became a minister. And his goal was to help other people. And that's why he arrived. 1900. He started Chung Sai Yat Po. It was a Chinese daily newspaper. And the articles printed articles in Chinese about events and topics important to Chinese immigrants. And what Chu also did, he traveled around the United States and gave speeches, and he spoke before Congress and even met the President of the United States. And what he did is he spoke out against the Chinese exclusion laws. And he said that discrimination against the Chinese immigrants was wrong. And he brought the problems that Chinese Americans faced to the attention of the entire country. And what happened? Well, his newspaper in San Francisco, it helped to shape the Chinese community in San Francisco's Chinatown. It helped the Chinese to break through their social and cultural isolation and it helped them work through becoming American. And it also shrank the gap between the Chinese community and the mainstream American society. The paper became independent financially. So it wasn't depending on the wealth of anyone else other than itself and its circulation. It also wasn't dependent to a particular political party. It supported itself. And it was one of the longest running, most popular Chinese language daily newspapers in the United States of America. So here we have a situation of a talented person who was only trying to work hard and establish themselves. And then here are a group of people, immigrants, who added benefits to our society and added benefits to our country. So stop. Let's stop. Stop for a minute and think it over. There's a difference between criticism, it's based on identity, and criticism based on a specific performance. And then criticism that leads to improvement or criticism that leads to punishment. You may think that punishment is in fact noble. Punishment has a place for when people need to be punished. When there are things that we do that are societally societal, let me think here, our society deems unacceptable. That is when we need to be punished. And I think those things are very clear. But there is a time when people criticize and punish based upon somebody's identity. 
Let's take this for example. If you have assigned somebody a task and they turn in work to you and you simply say to them, you did a bad job. You didn't try hard enough. You didn't give it all. You didn't go above and beyond. What's your mission? What's your vision? What's your purpose? Why did you do this? You did not do that. You didn't, you didn't give it at all. You didn't give 100%. All those buzzwords that people say. Let me tell you this. It's lazy leadership. And it also may reveal you're not an industry expert. Let's think about this for a second. Enron had a mission and vision statement. Where's Enron at today? In every failing organization, there is a mission and vision statement. That mission and vision statement didn't stop them from failing. Though it should. Though when people talk about paying consultants a whole lot of money for a mission and vision statement, where are the results? I say you have to earn your results. So show me your mission and vision statement, yes, but show me the return on the investment. Show me the profit created by your mission and vision statement. If you can't show profit created by it, then you don't need to be there. That's clear. That's data. That is criticism, not based upon identity, but based upon the results that you bring to an organization. And that's what we should be about. Now back to this. An individual comes to you. This is what you need to say. I think that's good. We can fix it. Make it a little to the left or make it a little bit to the right. Change the color, shrink the font. Now you've given that, purpose, that person specific instructions and that person can go out and make changes and produce a better product. Okay, buzzword leadership is shame-based leadership. And shame-based leadership, using buzzwords, that isn't tied to a particular result, that can't be displayed in a particular piece of work, breaks people's hearts, and is counterproductive to growth. Christine Bacho, a PhD, says this in Psychology Today. Unfortunately, shame can be imposed upon people for aspects of who they are rather than the things they do. Discrimination on the basis of characteristics such as gender, race, or mental illness offer no options for escape or respite from unfair shaming. In such cases, there is no discernible goal. Shaming can reflect prejudice against a group or a confusion of attitudes towards behaviors, conditions, and identity. Shaming people for someone for what they cannot change places them in an impossible situation that can yield nothing beneficial. So you may think telling somebody that they're not going above and beyond after they've spent 12 to 16 hours in the office working on a project, if you may think telling them they went above and beyond is beneficial, you're wrong. The data says that you're wrong because you should be talking about the actual work that they did between 12 and 16 hours a day. Look at that. Evaluate that. Culture is important. Culture is so important that it's also profitable. A study done by Columbia University shows that the likelihood of job turnover in an organization with high company culture is a mere 13%, where the probability of job turnover at a company with low culture is 48%. Here's the reason. Unhappy employees don't tend to do more than the minimum. Great workers who don't feel appreciated quit, and poor managers negatively affect workers and productivity. This was said by Robert Markley in the Harvard Business Review. 
loyal, passionate employees bring a company more benefit and the same amount of benefit as loyal, passionate customers. They stay longer, they work harder, they bring more creativity to their work, and they're a great employee. And they do that because they are appreciated. But may, maybe you don't believe me. Maybe you think that this is... I'm just being politically correct. No, I'm not. Let's look at the data. Department of Economics at the University of Warwick found that happy workers are 12% more productive than the average worker and unhappy workers are 10% less productive. In fact, unhappy employees cost American businesses over $300 billion a year. And that's from the New Century Financial Corporation. $300 billion a year you lose because you have a poor culture. Again, the study also says happy employees outperform the competition by 20%, earn 1.2 to 1.7% more than their peer firms, and are 2.1% above industry benchmarks. And happy workers are also more likely to solve problems faster. Now the data is clear. If you think that people are snowflakes or they can't think it or they're thin skin, go with that. But also know you're going with losing $300 billion a year and that's the side that you're on. And you can double down and you can say something like it's all about the bottom line and it's all about making the money. Well, guess what? What does the bottom line say? What does the data say? The data says that happy employees perform better than unhappy employees. And guess where that comes from? It comes from you, the leader, who has to set the tone and build a culture. So if you want to discriminate against your employees, call your employees names, I'm going to tell you you're a lazy leader and you're not an industry expert and that's the bottom line and you're costing your organization $300 billion a year. Maybe not your individual organization, but you are on the side of history that costs $300 billion a year. Now, what board signs up if the number one job of a CEO is to increase value to a company, then what side should the board be voting on? Do I want the CEO who loses money or do I want the CEO who is profitable? And if I am going to be a leader who is about the bottom line, because I'm about the bottom line, okay? I'm going to grant you bottom line leadership, but bottom line leadership means profitability. If you want to increase the amount of money to your stockholders and that's what keeps a CEO in business make your employees happy the data supports it now if you don't believe that well then just call me up and and give me a study that says treating people like garbage increases productivity over time and I'll just say this the Roman dictators all ended up dead okay at some point it ends poorly for a dictator. That's how it goes. History supports that. So, you can stop in the name of love. Love of your employees, love of your companies, and I'll even grant you love of your profits. Think it over. Here's a challenge for the week. When you're upset or angry, I want you to stop. I want you, number two, to think it over. And I want you to move forward from a place of love.
a place that preserves a person's dignity. And again, what do you say? What if this person is evil? I'm not talking about the evil person. The evil person will need to be let go. The evil person doesn't need to be in your organization in the first place. I'm talking about people in our day-to-day who are in your organization that you see on a daily basis. Take time. Think it over. Don't break people's hearts. It's not worth it, and it's not profitable. Thank you. This is Stephen Thompson. And this is my experience. And thank you for being a part of it. I want to welcome my listeners on XMile FM in China. Thank you so much for being a part of the experience. I'm one man working a podcast out of my home in Los Angeles, California. I have a lovely wife and a son. And you can help me out by subscribing to my Patreon page. And I have some great bonus content that are going to help you out. That's really fun. And it's also going to help me with the expenses of this show. Now, this show is always going to be free, but I believe it will be worth it to buy and become a patron of the show. Thank you so much for listening. And and know this. You are a child of the creator of the universe, and you have gifts. You have talents, and you have abilities that are unique to you. There are people waiting on you to use them. Tell yourself the true story, that you're valuable, you're talented, and then go out and contribute. Someone is waiting for you. Have a great week. Bye-bye.